And um, could you stand with me in reverence and respect for God's precious word? Genesis chapter 19, verse 23. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the city, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overflow when he overthrew, overthrew the cities in the, which Lot had dwelt. Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. And he and his two daughters dwelt in the cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on earth to come to us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And you go in and lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. Firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son, his name is Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. That's the word of the living God. Please be seated. Thank you so much. You'll recall, and we say it time and again, but I just believe there's a real need in the body of Christ to be reminded. And the Lord's Supper certainly is God's ordained act of worship to remind us that we need to be in relationship and fellowship with the Lord. That it is possible to be in relationship without fellowship, but it's certainly not possible to be in relationship without. Uh, I mean, it's possible to be in fellowship, uh, relationship without fellowship, but it's certainly not possible to be in fellowship without relationship. And when we take the Lord's Supper, we're celebrating both, aren't we? First, examining the fact that see if we're not we're of the faith. Uh, are you saved? Have you repented toward God and put faith in His Son? Are you sure of that? That's relationship. And then to take the, the cup and to take the bread as it comes by is a, after, should be after a period of examination where we look and see whether or not we're in fellowship with the Lord. And if we're in fellowship with the Lord, enjoy your supper. Enjoy your place at the table. Hallelujah. And if you're not in fellowship with the Lord, but you are in relationship with the Lord, then repent and get in fellowship. And enjoy it nonetheless. God wants you to sit at that table. He wants you to draw up a chair. He did a lot to get you there. He spilt His Son to get you there. He's glorified by your presence there because you're a former rebel and murderer. Every last one of us. Me, you, and everybody else. So that God could take dirty people and put them in a place of clean, at a clean table, glorifies His name and so doing that. So we're looking at the contrast between two believers. One who's in relationship and fellowship, Abraham, with another believer. Believer, believer, can you believe it? After reading Genesis 19, another believer, Lot, who's in relationship, but he's certainly not in fellowship. Then we went and looked, just so that we could just celebrate the, how relevant the Bible is. My, 
those who would say that we as Christians need to be relevant but depart from Scripture to do so are misled, aren't they? I mean, the Bible is more relevant than the day's paper. And we looked, and we looked in Romans chapter 1, and we made the observation that we're under the wrath of God as a people and a nation, and that one of the wraths of God, uh, there are five that are manifest in Scripture, is the wrath of abandonment. And you keep on, keep on going in our rebellion, not abandonment of the Christian, not abandoning the church, the real church, but abandoning somebody who keeps saying, you know what, thanks but no thanks, God. I can run things from here. And we're looking at now, how should believers who are in fellowship view and respond to judgment? And we made the case a couple of weeks ago, are we under the judgment of God? I think, I think uh, even a cursory glance at the conditions of things would indicate yes, we are. And uh, how should we respond? as a, a believer in fellowship um, to the fact that we're under the judgment of God. The first way we're looking at it is how not to respond. And that would be by using the example of Lot and his wife. And you remember that she looked back. And I think I've kind of summarized this and kind of given an outline which God will and I will email to you this week so you can go over yourself with your families. If... Um, that um, it's just a series of B's, B-E. And the first one would be this. How should we respond? How should we view and respond judgment when we're under judgment? And the first and foremost by looking at Lot's wife would be focused on Jesus. Be focused on Jesus. You know, um, we're going to go to Colossians chapter 1. Let's go do that. Eric's mentioned that this morning. I told the guys yesterday at the Bible study, I said, you know, God keeps bringing this up in so many different ways to all of us. We better heed and, and, and go, boy, God, you've got something for us here. You're speaking to us. She had lost her focus. She looked back. Why? That which she treasured was not in heaven, but that which she treasured was in Sodom. See, your treasure and your heart reside in the same place, don't they? That's what the Bible says. That Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so her heart was still in Sodom. God got her out of Sodom, but Sodom was still in her. God even said that about His people. In Acts chapter 7, you'll recall, the Bible says that um, when they got out of Egypt, and because of their disbelief, that precipitated 40 years of wilderness wanderings. And in the Bible, when... Stephen, who's given a, a, a kind of a, a history lesson in their, in their rebellion toward God, said that uh, they got out of Egypt, but in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. And what did that ensure but 40 years of wilderness wandering, never securing, never seizing, never realizing the victory God had already purchased and won for them that would have been theirs through an obedient response to belief genuine belief and this is what Lot's wife did she turned back her focus was not on Christ her focus was not on things eternal her focus was on the here and now but look what it says in Colossians 3 1 through 3 if then you were raised with Christ by the way if you were saved you were raised with Christ amen amen 
the very life of Jesus Christ is now your life. And we died to who we used to be. And we have resurrected in new life to who He is. That's why salvation is eternal. If you can lose your salvation, and it one day can, um, can come to a, to a halt, a screeching halt, that means that Jesus Christ would have to die. And I don't think that's going to happen. Hallelujah. You're as secure in your salvation and I'm as secure in mine if we're believers. Uh, as we are in the very life of Jesus Christ and His eternal nature and Godhead. Hallelujah. And so, if you were raised with Christ, and you were, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears then you will also appear with Him in glory. Amen. Nobody in the world can explain that, but the Bible teaches it. My understanding of something doesn't dictate whether or not I believe it. My understanding is not my authority. The Word of God is. If I wait till I understand something in the Bible before I believe it, I'm in for a long wait. But God says that we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus right now. I don't, know how much you, I don't know how more secure you can get than that. Amen, Catherine? Hallelujah. We're secure. And you know what? We're in Him right now. As if it, in the mind of God, we're in Christ, in the loins of Jesus Christ, even right now. Set our mind on that. Set our mind on that. We talked about that John Owen said years ago. And it's such a true statement. Love for this present world hinders growth in grace. That is true. David said what he said this morning because basically it boils down to this. We don't risk the gospel because we stand too much to lose as a result of being ridiculed for having advanced it. Why? Because this world is our home. You know, this world is our home. We've got to make sure that we please everybody and we suit everybody and we maintain standing with everybody because we can't run the risk of losing what you're going to lose anyway. The story is told about some preacher, I can't remember his name, he had a member of his church, had a 10,000 acre ranch in Texas. That's small by Texas standards. And so he was over there and they toured the branch all day long and the pastor was just waiting for some impressive remark to come out of the, uh, I mean the, 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 the owner was waiting for some remark from the pastor to go, oh, gosh, golly gee, wow, something. And he never said anything, he just looked around. He said, well look over here. He said, we're going to travel all day long today and we'll travel my truck all day long and we'll never run out of my land. And so they got through and at the end of the day the pastor didn't say anything. He said, well, you've remained silent all day long. I just wanted, I, I, I'd just like to know, what do you think, pastor? He said, I think you're going to have a hard time leaving this because you're going to leave it. And obviously it's a lot more attached to you than you're willing to admit. You're going to leave it one day. You're going to leave it. That didn't occur. That wasn't a reality that Lot's wife lived in because everything that she valued and everything that she motivated her was inside. Everything that motivates me is in a place where moth and rust and corrosion cannot touch. Amen. Hallelujah. A heavenly orientation. We're just passing through. So be focused on Jesus. That's how we respond to judgment. Don't. It's temporary. 
It's, it's going to be over. It's going to be te it's temporary. The sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory that follows, the Apostle Paul tells us. And then, the next one that we talked about last week, be sober. Be sober. Be sober. We talked about the fact that, look at Lot's example. I don't know. I don't want to get extra biblical. But, The angel said, I want you to go to the mountain. I think I'd take the angel's advice. I mean, if you're just going to rescue me from sure death, and whatever you want me to go from here, I'm, I'm, I'm signing in. And Lot had the almost uh, arrogance, I would think, to say, no, I want to go to Zoar. He said, you understand that we just got to rescue you, and, you want, and you're, now you're, you're exploring your options. He said, I want to go to Zoar. And apparently, I mean, it must have been, must have been a package store to Zoar. There must have been. Because when he got to the mountains, they had they got it from somewhere. And you got to figure, like we talked about last week, he was not a sober man. He must not have been a sober-minded man because his two daughters got him intoxicated. And you got to figure that the only reason that they would think that they could get him intoxicated is because they had seen him intoxicated before. They were just following precedent. It's what they were doing. This is how we'll pull off this shameful, disgusting, abominable act. We'll get him drunk. We've seen him drunk before. Won't be a problem. Put a couple of them under, underneath him there at dinner time. It's a done deal. And we talked about the fact that DUI <clears throat> means, and you go chase after people that do this, David, driving under the influence. But what about LUI, living under the influence? And what is it that controls you and I? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it something else? Because if it's anything other than the Holy Spirit, it's sin. And there's a laundry list. You can be drunk on something besides wine. You can be drunk on fear. You can be drunk on anger. You can be drunk on wounds that are unhealed. You can be drunk on unforgiveness. You can be drunk on the past. You can be drunk on the approval of others. You can be drunk on your pride. We can be drunk on our guilt. We can be drunk on lust. We can be drunk in jealousy, envy failures, expectations of others, being misunderstood, or trying to preserve ourselves from being misunderstood. We can be drunk on a bunch of things. And all of those things can control the believer and they need not. They need not. They need not control the believer because of the new birth. You have the Holy Spirit and I have the Holy Spirit living in us. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word filled means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And the tense of that is, is to be keep on being filled. Keep on being filled. Every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But oh dear ones, every believer is not filled with the Holy Spirit. There's one indwelling, but there are many fillings. And the feeling is based on in direct proportion in how much control I'm going to yield over to the real me. Because the real me is Jesus in me. And that other guy that leans around that gives me problems is not the real me. Don't be drunk with wine. Be sober. Look at 1 Peter 5, 8-11. Let's go over and look at it. 1 Peter 5, 8-11. Don't be drunk. Judgment is upon us. Do you want to be stammering around, not being able to follow the line? Do you want to be stammering around, not having any direction or insight about the activity of God around you and how He's working? You know how many times, you know, do you know how many, how often we as believers 
Do you the the will of God to be so evasive and unknowable simply because we're drunk on something that prevents us from seeing it? First Peter five eight to eleven. Be sober. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Curious thing that the devil would be walking around seeking whom he may devour. He knows he cannot touch your eternal destiny. That is fixed as a believer. He cannot mess with that. The devil doesn't send anybody to hell. The devil is not charge of hell. God is. Hell is not the wrath of the devil. Hell is the wrath of God. And he's going there to incur and suffer the wrath of God. So therefore he can't do anything about my relationship. So he sets his target on doing something about my fellowship. Because if you can get me out of fellowship, I'll act like Lot. I'll lose everything that matters. I'll lose everything that matters. Include my influence. He's roaring, he's roaring like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Look at 9. Resist him. Well, let's give an example. Let's look at an example of somebody who resisted him. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Look at Matthew chapter 4. It's almost as if the devil starts out with some temptations with Jesus in his life and he kind of ups the ante every time. He kind of just cranks it up a little bit higher. First it is, meet your physical needs, your physical appetites. He said, nothing doing. I'm going to trust God to do that. I tell you what, then if you trust God, let's find out if you really do. Once you go to the top of the temple and throw yourself down, let's find out if you really trust Him. And Jesus said, I'm not going to tempt him. Because the Bible says not to tempt God. And he says, okay, all right, enough of this. This is what I'm really after. This is what I'm really after. Look at verse 10. Then Jesus, no, excuse me, verse 8 of Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. That's the third time, you remember, that Jesus turns to the devil and says, arguably, some of the most powerful words in the Bible, It is written. It is written. And he quoted scripture from the book of Deuteronomy. All three of them came from Deuteronomy. And he looked him in the face and said, It is written. I'm not going to yield my worship over to anybody but the Lord of glory. He made a legitimate offer to him because he is the God, little God of the kingdoms of this age. He is under the sovereign, permissive will of God, the authority of God. And look what the devil did. Left him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. The problem is, is we give in. And we don't take what's available to us as our tool. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. He wrote the Bible. And he will quicken your spirit. You'll quicken your spirit, my spirit, to speak to the moment. 
exactly the truth of the living God. It doesn't need to be added to, contorted, changed, edited, anything like that. It's exactly, just exactly the way He delivered it up. And yes, it is powerful. It is powerful. Look at Matt, look at Psalm 119. There are a bunch of places we could go for this. I know that. I know that. But it's, we're just going to stop over on one here. Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We talked about this before. You and I are hard pressed. Accusations come from the enemy. The uh, lies from the enemy. How did our Lord deal with them? He turned to him and he said, It is written. What happens? The devil flees. Resist the devil and he will. He will what? Flee from you. Look at this. Psalm 119, verse 8. 9, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. O Lord, let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Vance Habner said this. He said this years ago. He said either this book will keep you away from sin or sin will keep you away from this book. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And so we let that word sift down into our spirits. As Eric said this morning, training for godliness. And then if we let the word permeate our spirit and we're out there in the wilderness of temptation and we look around on our left and on our right and nobody seems to be there, even though he is there, Nancy. Whatever, in the moment we've been squeezed, whatever comes out is what we've been putting in. And if you've been putting in lies, out will come lies. And guess what? You can communicate with the devil all day long on the basis of lies because he's the father of them. That's his native language. He said, hey, you want to speak some lies? Hey, get some coffee. And let's get some cafe latte, something other, grande, something other. And let's just sit here and let's just recycle lies all over again. Over and over again. Let's just lie, 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 lie. I love to lie. You want to lie? So put lies in your spirit. And when he sits down at the table, you just lie right back to him. He'll lie back to you. Then you lie to him and he'll lie back to you. And we just have a lie fest. What are you putting in? You put in garbage in, you get garbage out. You put the Word of God in. I care nothing about heaven. I don't care if we homeschool or whatever we do. I don't care anything about having educated children. I want godly children who are educated. There are plenty of people who are educated who are nothing but educated fools. Trained. Pour in the Word of God. That's our weapon. That is the sword of the Spirit. That is the place that penetrates the enemy. And what will he do? He will flee. Hallelujah. Be sober. Be, have a heads up orientation. See what God's doing. And when you see what God's doing, it'll put, it'll give you discernment about what the, the devil's doing to come against it. Be sober. Be focused on Jesus. Be sober. And this one leads to the other one. These are, these are two sides of the same coin, but be holy. Be holy. Holiness has fallen into bad, bad reputation. Mm -hmm. Holiness has fallen into ill repute. Not because of Jesus, but because of us. Sometimes we can conjure up minds, in our minds, what it means to be holy. And it's anything but holy. Holiness. You know, and it's uh, often characterized as somebody who defines their life by what they don't do. 
I don't do the following, so I must be holy. Did you know the Bible says that the Lord said, David said, I worship you in the beauty of your holiness. Holiness is not ugly and sour. And a fr it doesn't put a frown or a f on your face or a furrow on your brow. It gives you a peace that passes all understanding. Holiness, that word means whole. W-H-O-L-E. It means the complete life. It means somebody who is resting in the fact that Jesus Christ plus nothing equals everything. If He's got me and I've got Him, I've got everything. That transcends circumstances and is best experienced in spite of circumstances. He says, be holy. See, When look at Second Peter. Look at Second Peter. Go over here and we'll finish it up. Look at Second Peter. First Peter, Second Peter. That doesn't help a lot, does it? Uh, Second Peter um, chapter three. Let's look at verses ten through thirteen. This is about the day of the Lord. What is that but judgment? We're talking about judgment, aren't we here? Day of the Lord, verse ten. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of, the, of God? because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Hallelujah. Look at what it says. It says... What, in, in light of looming judgment, condemn yourself in a holy manner? Isn't that what it means there? See, it doesn't say to be holy there. It says to conduct yourself holy. Now, here's the difference. There's no difference, but here's the distinction. You and I can live holy because we've been made holy. You don't act holy in order to become holy. You act holy because you've already been made holy. Holiness in conduct is the fruit of holiness in position. The very moment, the very day that you and I accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and repented of our sins and put our faith in Him, God now calls you and I holy. Right then. That's not going to happen one day in the sweet by and by. That's right now. Right now, God's judgment from heaven upon repentant believers and His Son is that you are as holy as Jesus because you've been clothed with His righteousness. Hallelujah. We begin to let that meditate in our hearts and take root in our hearts. You know what the fruit of that is? The fruit of holy being is holy living. And it is a grace. It is a participation. Gone with the notion that Christianity is just a creed or a conduct or, or, or some, some rule book. 
Christianity is a relationship. The Bible is a means to an end. It is. Don't view me to be a heretic to say that. Jesus said that. He said, you search the Scriptures because in them you think you have life. But these are they which testify of me. But you won't come to me that you might have life. This is a gateway to the very person of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not a plan. It is a man. And his name is Jesus Christ. When once we repent, everything that God says about His Son, I was just reading it this morning in my personal Bible time, Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ. Abraham is a type of God the Father. Isaac is a type of God the Son. And Jacob is a type of God the Holy Spirit. And I was reading in there just one sentence. And I thought, man, you could do a series on this. And he said in uh, Genesis, after Isaiah was born, and they cast out Ishmael and the son of the bondwoman and the bondwoman along with it, he said this. He had another wife. Her name was Keturah. And he had other children by that wife. But the Bible says he sent them all to the east somewhere. And he said this. He gave Isaac everything that he had. You know what that is? That's God saying, I gave my son everything I've got. And because you have repented and put faith in him, you're his heir. He said, the rest of these children, we got to get rid of them. There's not a one, not one of them, that has this inheritance coming to him. Not one. Abraham was a rich man. He was rich. And the Bible says, Abraham, gave Isaac everything he had. And I was celebrating this morning. I like threw it off the cup of coffee. I said, God, that's saying to me, it's your child in your son that you have bequeathed everything to your son and to those that you have drawn to your bosom, you bequeathed it to me. Hallelujah. You want a prosperity gospel? Why don't we let somebody hijack that term? Prosperity gospel? Yeah. I subscribe to prosperity gospel. I've been delivered from the penalty of sin. I am being delivered from the power of sin. And one day I'm going to be delivered from His presence. That's prosperity. Boy, you press into that truth not through some fame trip to heaven where you're driving a Mercedes. You press into that truth in the middle of suffering and pain and adversity and everything else that comes your way so that you can glean from Him and put faith in the inheritance that you do not stand to lose. Ever! Hallelujah. Amen. Salvation is not given by Jesus. Salvation is Jesus. He is salvation. Hallelujah. We can be holy because we've been made holy. And because we're made holy, inevitably we should live holy. And what is the holy life? It's the complete life. It's a life that displays the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's that. It is a grace of living that's appealing to people who can't reproduce it any other way. They want it, but it eludes them every time. And they look at our lives and wouldn't it be great if they saw us to be holy and have some kind of appetite and participate in that? How is that that you've got joy when you come in here? How is that? That when we lost the contract, you just kept singing. How is that? That when this happens and that happens and the other, you just keep singing. Nobody can shut you up. How is that? What is that? Let me go in the corner somewhere where somebody's not looking, drop my pride like Nicodemus, or preserve my pride, but come to the cover of night the way Nicodemus did and say, listen, it's going to ruin my standing with these other people, but can I ask you, what, what are you about? Remember we talked about it, the fact that 
The Bible says to give a reason for the defense that hopes lies within you. And I wonder how many times, what's the last time somebody's come up to you and said, I see such hope in your life, I want to know why you have it. Man, that's a great question. Doesn't that say something about maybe that we're given an inaccurate portrayal of what Christianity is all about? Mm-hmm. Then be content. Be content. <clears throat> Lot was not content. You know how we know he wasn't content? It's because he pitched his tent towards Sodom. He looked out the fruited plain and he wanted the best. Uncle Abraham would be good to him. I'm going to tell you something right now. All of his success, all of his wealth came through the fruit of the life of Abraham, his uncle. And when he had the opportunity to take his pick of which way he would go, instead of saying, Uncle, I respect you so much and love you so much, you take the best place. He said, no, i got to take the place. I'm going to have it now. I'm going to have my best life now. You know, I'm going to have it now. i got to have it now. And so what did he do? He went toward the free. You know why? Because he was never content. He got to the gate of Sodom, set up as a leader there. Was he content? No. So then he said, oh, i got to court the favor of these other people so they can advance my political aspirations. Maybe that'll make me content. Was he content? No, he wasn't content. Contentment invaded him. I had out a definition of idolatry one time. And I'm going to do it again, God willing. Here's, here's my definition of idolatry, which is worth nothing, but I believe the Lord gave this to me. Idolatry is this. Anything, person, or a state of being, which is the basis for my song, other than Jesus. Anything, person, state of being, change of circumstance, that's the basis for my song, my joy. Or, anything person or state of being the lack thereof keeps me from singing now see if I, if I got to have a change to get me to sing then that's whatever that is that's got to change that singing is not praise it's not it's idolatry I'm celebrating my idol for what I'm doing see I can be content the apostle Paul said that didn't he he said I've learned contentment is learned behavior you don't just come out of the womb content and even if you get saved, you don't walk in contentment. Mm-hmm. I just tell you this. Most of the stuff that we get involved in in Christianity, most of the stuff that we get involved in Christianity boils down to this. I really believe it's very simple. I have to be simple. I have to come, you know, don't tell me three or four things to do with the gospel. You just give me one good thing maybe that would help me out get to quit slicing. Just one. And here's, here's what I believe it is. Just this one thing. This notion that Jesus Christ is just not enough. He's just not enough. He's not enough. What did the Apostle Paul say his secret contentment was? I've learned that when I have a lot or when I have nothing next to nothing at all, and I've been in both, I've learned to be content. What was his secret? Anybody remember what, what famous little verse with big implications is in that narrative? No. It relates to that. You could say it that way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying my contentment is predicated upon not my circumstances or not what other people think, but the person of Jesus Christ. I found Him to be enough. They've beat me. They've they've stripped me naked. I've been shipwrecked. I've been everything. Name it. Look at the laundry list. And through it all, here's what I've concluded. Jesus Christ is enough. (laughs) Amen. You know what? 
here's this, this is I love this. We got to where we invite people over Trevor to the house. We put these little place cards on there, and we we'll get somebody that's got better handwriting than me. You know, Trevor. You know, put your name on there, and we'll put them out there so everybody knows where to see it. And uh, that's for my benefit because I never sit in the right place. And I was just thinking, isn't it wonderful? We're about to have the Lord's Supper, and one day we're going to sit at His table, and there's going to be a place card there, and it's got your name on it if you're a believer. <laughs> And you will sit at his table. And I bet the handwriting is something else. And the Bible says we will have a new name. I'm very happy about that because I want something decidedly male. <laughs> and, and then we, we'll sit there at his table. And it reminds me of, we, you know what we are? We're a bunch of Mephibosheths. That's what we are. David came to power. Saul chased him down all those years and tried to kill him knowing he was going to be the king. And he resisted the temptation to take matters into his own hands and just let God exalt him and advance him. He said, God can do it. I won't do it myself. He resisted the temptation doing that. Because of that, he sat on the throne that our Savior is going to sit on one day. He said, let me ask you this. Go around the kingdom. Does Lot have any descendants? I want to be kind. I want to be kind. And does he have any descendants? Jonathan, my, my dear friend Jonathan, yeah, he's got a descendant. He's got a descendant named Mephibosheth. And Bephibosheth was crippled. And when Bephibosheth, we're about to have the Lord's Supper. I'm introducing it right now. We're about to, Mephibosheth found out that David was looking for him. And I promise you, he was shaken like that. He was terrified. The king wants to see me? Okay, let's think about this. I am the only heir of Saul. And when the king of another dynasty takes over. His first order of business is to get rid of any competitor for the throne. So I'll kill everybody who might have a claim on it and end that line. And that's what Mephibosheth thought when he was being brought to the palace. He's going to cut my throat. He's going to cut my throat. He gets there and he says, you sit here at my table for the rest of your life. I got a place here for you. Your name is Mephibosheth, and so is mine. Crippled, sorry, rebellious, hard-headed, nasty to the core. Formerly, people like me and you have a place at the master's table. The only time people get to sit there are crippled people. Amen. Can I ask you this? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we approached the Lord's Supper like that this morning? I'm not saying we don't, but just remember when it's passed by, we're not just going through a routine. Here, when it's passed by, you and I have been invited to sit at the king's table. Hallelujah. And he didn't kill us. And we compete for the throne all the time. Are we competitors? I mean, are you? You never compete for the throne of your life. You and I have been sitting there all these years. He said, you know what? Rather than wiping you out, I'm going to give you a favor because I'm going to wipe my son out so you can sit at this table. So when you, when you and I grab that, uh, some juice, Elaine, and we grab the bread, just remember, you and I have an invitation and standing to sit at the master's table because of grace. Do you have that relationship? If you have the relationship, you sit at the table. Moreover, if you're in fellowship, you can enjoy the table. 
Let's ask the Lord to search our hearts. Is there any unrepentant sin in our life right now? Is there somebody in this room that you got something against? You're holding out? You know what they're doing? If you have unforgiveness towards somebody in this room or outside this room, that unforgiveness is what controls you. Not the Holy Spirit. Not the Holy Spirit. He ain't going to cut a deal with that. But you know what? Through repentance, we can get rid of that. Resentment. Resentment. Some seething anger underneath the surface only you and Jesus know about. It's time to get rid of it. It's, we can do it this morning. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. Brian's going to come and he's going to lead us. Let's search our hearts and see if there's any anxious thought or offensive way in us that God will lead us.